Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I keep saying good evening. Maybe it's morning for you. Maybe it's afternoon. <laughs> Whenever you're listening to us, first of all, we totally appreciate that. So, welcome, all of you who are out there. Pat's here again. Megan, we're here to entertain you. And I hope you're sharing with all your friends and subscribing like mad. So, Pat, what are we going about now? What are we going to Well, you know, about? one of the uh, the most enjoyable parts of uh, sharing the book writing experience with you, and it was all lots of fun, and I, I really enjoyed it, but being the, the historian that I am, uh, I was particularly interested in the, uh, the JFK assassination portion of it, and uh, a lot of the facts of which I knew. Uh, however, uh, you had a very u- unique experience, uh, and... It's it's. I mean, you were you were a very young man when this happened, and you played a, quite a small part in it. But that said, Frank Costello did you a, a a great favor by sending you on a let's call it a vacation. Yeah, and I didn't know. I was I was confused because when I got back from New Orleans, prior to all this happening on November twenty second, um, I, I gave him the message, and after that long trip, uh, you know, here I am. And the whole thing was, it's on, two words. Wow. And with that said, he just was prepared for it. And he handed me this manila envelope, you know, a, a huge manila envelope, it was thick. Oh. Had 15,000 in cash, it had documents and papers, uh, merchant marine papers. And he said, I signed you on a ship as a merchant marine I said, okay, and that's all I, I never questioned what he wanted me to do. And um, so I said, all right. And he said, you're gonna be leaving the end of the week. I said, all right. He said, you're gonna go on as a hairdresser. <laughs> I said, okay. He said, but you're not gonna do any hair. He said, but between now and then, I set you up. We used to shop at Alley's, and uh, not Alley's. Um, oh, I'm thinking of Brooklyn, that's where we got the shirts at that time. Um, the, you know a place too. I mean, what's the name of the place I'm thinking about? Pat? What are you talking about? What place? The clothes, the suits. Before, oh, uh, Leighton's. Leighton's. Oh. Before we went yeah. to Brioni, we, went, we were at Leighton's all the time. Oh, Leighton's, what a store that was. I, I used to window shop, okay? I couldn't afford anything. And what clothes? <laughs> no, well, I was a kid, I was like 14. I, yeah. it's, the clothes were unbelievable. Wow. Oh. So anyway, yeah. he said, go there. He says, it's gonna be, you're gonna be on the ship in about four or five days, you're gonna, be eating with the captain every night, which is, I don't know the protocol. So I said, okay. But I didn't realize you're a guest normally on these cruises only one night so they could get enough people to sit and talk to them. Mm. But I was gonna sit every night. So he said, don't embarrass me, get great clothes. They're waiting for you. And there's $15,000 walking around money. Not that you have to pay for anything. He said, but when you get to Spain, which is your first port, you're gonna get off, a guy's gonna meet you and just listen to what he has to say. So I thought that was the whole trip. Mm-hmm. So now I go and do everything he did. I went and got the clothes and got prepared. And I had Gucci luggage. I mean, I, I, mean, I, it looked, I didn't look like any merchant marine. <laughs> no. In fact, when I got to the ship, it was the Independence, and uh, I walked to where I'm supposed to go with the crew. And I'm walking there, they said, no, no, sir, you gotta go to that gangplank. You're, that's, you're a passenger. 
I said, no, I'm part of the crew. <laughs> and I showed them my card, and they were looking at me saying, like, who's this guy? <laughs> But you were. This was a. This was a major luxury line. It wasn't anybody. Oh my god, that. major, major luxury yeah. line. But I was going on his crew, which was the yeah. back of the boat, near near the back, where the crew goes with that big sign, crew. Mm -hmm. And so I said, no, I'm supposed to come this way. Here, I'm part of the crew, and I have my merchant marine card, and said hairdresser, and I said I'm supposed to ask for the chief purser. He knows I'm coming. So with that, I go on. And they pick up a, a phone on the on the ship, and this guy comes, and he takes my luggage. And this guy's the chief person. Now he how, excuse up, me, a second. How old were you at the time? Uh, twenty one, I think. Twenty twenty one. Wow. Yeah. And so now he takes me upstairs on the, one of the elevators, and he puts me in the you know U deck, which is the top deck, mm -hmm. and all suites, because I'm walking to go through it, and I never been on a ship before. Was like me never being, in, you know, in the suite at the Waldorf either, and having room service mm -hmm. with that lovely lady. But um, <laughs> mm -hmm. so now, you know, I said, okay, this is great, man. I walk in and had a balcony, you know, all that, and I I walk out of the, you know, we were still in New York Harbor, and I walk out and I'm hearing kids, you know, two little kids, and I said, oh my God, we have kids next to me, <laughs> and. So he said, uh, and over there, and then the maid came out, you know, with the kid, dressed as a maid. Only to find out later on, there were Gra it was Grace Kelly's original kid, and it was uh, um, a, a Carolyn, and then the son, Albert. Oh. And the the, the little Stephanie wasn't born yet. I got to know the family well. Mm. But anyway, I didn't know them, anybody at that time. But I didn't know whose kids they were. So I just went downstairs like everybody else, and, they have a, a fire drill first and all that, soon just before they pull out, and giving you where you're supposed to go. And I'm so excited, I'm all dressed up, you know. And uh, as we go under the Verrazano Bridge, they announced that the president's been shot in Dallas. And they didn't say he was dead, alive, or anything. So now I see all these pilot boats and tugboats coming and pulling dignitaries off. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying to myself, because we're out in the water now, I'm going under the Verrazano Bridge. Right. So I'm saying, look at this, man. Because I didn't know, I remember, the president got shot, you know, I, I knew John Kennedy, uh -huh. but I'm saying, they didn't say he was dead, so he got shot. Okay. The, you know, I, I got friends of mine get shot all the time. Right, yeah, you were in two phase. <laughs> so, so I'm saying to I, myself, I'm not, not being disrespectful to the president, I'm saying, Wow, all these guys are leaving. All these broads are going to be on the ship with me. Oh, <laughs> I'm looking at it that gosh. way because I didn't know. The guy, ain't, you know, he's, I nuts. didn't say he was dead. Yeah. And it wasn't until like we're out to sea now. And I just came back from New Orleans. And the guy that I bugged into when I got off the plane got there and I had to go to the restroom. And Carlos said, There's somebody in there. This guy bugged into me. But I never paid attention to him until that telex came over. And he's the headline of the newspaper, and it's Lee Harvey Oswald. That's the guy I bunked into, and now everything. I'm, I'm sorry, Pat. That's the guy that you bumped into in New Orleans. In New Orleans, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Like two or three days prior, and it hit me. Then I'm saying, "Oh my God, what did I have to do with this?" Oh, well, not much, really. No, not no, really, not much. In fact, yeah. you know, obviously. 
FBI, CIA, everybody else, they had that place wired down. Mm. But again, I don't know what was planned, but Costello knew because he probably got the same, you know, mm -hmm. orders. Anybody that knew anything about this, kill them. Wow. And they killed my, the number I got was up to 73 people. Oh my gosh. Over the course of uh, not very long. Yeah. Yeah. Like How a, long would you say? Like 90 days. Maybe, oh my maybe. goodness, that's insane. That's if they couldn't find you. If they found you, we'd oh, right man. Away. So, so Costello, in essence, puts you on his boat to save your life. Oh yeah, no, he. Yeah. And again, I mean, talk about a father figure, and I mean, he went against all odds doing that, because the order was, I, I mean, I don't know what he was going to say. Didn't say. I didn't know about the order until later on in life, when you know he told me what, what that whole thing was about. So now here I am in a totally different mode because mm -hmm. I, I had spent some time with John F. Kennedy, you know, as he, when he was a senator and they were grooming him, I just was a fly on the wall. Not that I was a friend of his, but right. I, they, he, we were in the same company numerous times. But uh, so it was so gloomy on the boat because now they, the Kennedy, they announced he was dead. Mm -hmm. They swore in Linda Bain Johnson. And everybody on the ship, especially Grace Kelly, because I was Grace Kelly, if you remember the book, and we keep referring to the book without mentioning the title, we just assume everybody knows. The book that Pat and I wrote together, fortunately, is called Hollywood Godfather. My what a life. coincidence. We, had, we run a podcast with the same name. Yeah, I know. What Son came, of a bitch. What came first, the podcast or the book? I don't know. <laughs> the chicken or the egg? I, I have to. I, I'm gonna have to check on that. No, but I just didn't want to assume that everybody knows. Yeah, yeah I so think it's. I think it's pretty safe to to say yeah. that most people know. But it's good to good to say it. So if the people who who didn't read the book or didn't read the book, I'm gonna let you know that I used to pick up women at the Barbizon Hotel, which was a woman's hotel. The building is still there. It's 63rd and 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 Lexington Avenue. But at nighttime, wherever they could be. Costello and Johnny Miller, Walter Winchell. These guys were out every night. And I used to go with an envelope to the monitor on the second floor because the girls had a curfew. They had to be in by nine o'clock. And I would go see this guy with an envelope and I'd pick up women and take them by cab to wherever these guys wanted, either the Cope or the Latin Quarter. They used to stay at the Harlan Club a lot. And one of these women was Grace Kelly. Wow. When she was a young girl there, Audrey Hepburn, there was a lot of people. The most prominent people used to send their daughters there and stay there while they were going to finishing school or pursuing a career as modeling. Yeah, they weren't celebrities then. No, no, they weren't celebrities mm -hmm. at all. But I got to know Grace over the four or five years I was doing that. And it had to, now that I'm thinking about it, because now I'm 20 or 21 on the boat. So it was like four or five years wow. when she was there. But now she's married to Rennie, has these two kids. Right. But I knew she knew my guys. Mm -hmm. And I knew she knew me. Huh. And it was comforting for both of us. Because, you know, when it's like a, a family member dying. And, uh, you know, we talked and all that. And uh, she asked me, are you the kid? And I said, yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, as as we, it was a great scene 
I'm saying scene because it's going to be a scene. But it was a, <laughs> a great, it was a great part of my life on that boat that night because I had all that money yet. Right. So I had like a rapper with me, like with ten thousand. Yes. So the band leader is playing almost like funeral music, and the place was everybody was dressed to the nines. But he, he, he put a damper on the whole night. So I walked over to the guy, and he looked like uh, like. Um, like a, a skinny Xavier Cougat. He had, one of those, <laughs> he had one of those little pinstripe mustaches. mustaches. His hair all varnished to his head. Oh my gosh. And he had the baton because he was conducting. And I said, sir, I said, I knew John F. Kennedy. And he looked at me like, oh yeah, okay. Sure you did. But I was dressed to the nines. I think I had like a, uh, at that time, a small ring, but maybe an eight carat pinky ring because pinky rings were the big thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I really do know him. And I put my hand in my pocket and I grabbed from the folder two or $300 bills. And I held them here and I said, this is for you. Now, his campaign song was High Hopes. In respect to this guy, why don't you play High Hopes? Nice, you know, that's mm -hmm. a very simple tune. But it's uplifting. Yeah, it's uplifting. Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah. this is we're gonna. This is gonna be a long crossing with you playing this music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, he, he took the money, put mm -hmm. it in his pocket. I didn't get back to my table, and they're starting to play high hopes. <laughs> but it did change, you know, the mood. The mood, and, and it lightened it up. And then, you know, long story short, obviously, it, it was a, a marvelous night. Her and I talked until the sun came up, because mm -hmm. there was nowhere to go. And, Everybody was very, you know, wound up, melancholy, and wound up. There was so mixed emotions, right? Because nobody knew anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't have televisions on the boat then. You know, that yeah, stuff. that's true. So the next day, I get off, and there's sure enough, there's a guy with a sign, the kid. Now, Where are you now, Spain? Yeah, I'm in Barcelona, Spain. It was our first okay. main port. We yeah. came in through the Gibraltars, and the first main port was Barcelona, Spain. So I'm, you know, dressed with, you know, beautiful pair of slacks and sports coat. And I get off the boat, and he's the kid. And I, said, I wave to him. He comes over to me. He says, "Come on, we'll go." I said, "Where are we going? I got to be back here by four o'clock." He said, "No, you're not coming back here." I said, "I have a wardrobe <laughs> up there." He says, "And?" He says, "Don't worry about clothes." Fortunately. Because I would never leave. I didn't trust anybody. I wasn't going to leave the money in my room. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and the jewelry at that time, I had one set of jewelry, a watch thing, and which I had. Mm -hmm. I still had the same watch. But so with that, I go with Vito. Huh. And Vito. Uh, and he's not saying much. He's going to be with me for a while. And to, to, your, to Mr. C. Sensby, I said, no problem. I said, where are we going? He said, we're just going to travel and sightsee for a while. But what most people didn't know is I'm, I'm not a person that could just sit around. So I mean, I, I, I love the south of France. Our first stop from Barcelona, we went right down to, to Monaco along the coast driving. Wow. And uh, we stopped at the, uh, I never forget it, the Monaco uh, Beach Club. <laughs> now I'm not used to seeing women topless. And we're at the bar outside looking and nobody has tops on. <laughs> I didn't know that was the thing in Europe. <laughs> so he said, come on, we got to go. I said, well, can we stay a little while longer? <laughs> he said, there's going to be a lot of candy around. I said, what do you mean candy? Eye candy. That's what I learned. Oh, eye candy. Oh, my gosh. So what, what I did do on the second, third, fourth day, I realized what we would do. We'd go one place to stay a day or two and move on because he was keeping me low key. Mm -hmm. 
because mm. we didn't know I didn't know what they thought they were looking for right and I didn't know who knew what and so I we went at the best restaurants everybody knew him so I was ordering dishes and I would say to I to like the waiter you know and they knew there was importance mm -hmm. of whoever I was because it is guy so I said can I see the chef and most of the chefs were the owner or their kids or whatever and I'd start talking to them and I'd say, you know, I really learned want to learn this dish. And they'd look at me, you know, and he'd say, yeah. And mm. then that was it. So I'd learned the dish or two, and then really got to it. Like the next day, I'd come and prep it. I had nothing to do. Right. And then we'd move on. And I took the business card, put it in my pocket, moved on. I did that all across. I was there 22 months. Mm. We didn't get to Sicily for about three or four months. So you can imagine how many restaurant cards or menus I had and the menus and the chefs. I, I always liked cooking, always. Right. So yeah, and cool. what I did then, when I got to Sicily and my good friend, Uwe Bufo, met me there and I, I, this man is like my grandfather. Mm -hmm. Slight man, five foot two. I can only talk about him not because he's dead, but this guy was like God to me. I knew about him. I knew. Well, who was he? Ugo Buffa. It was easy for you to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. This guy was like. Think of anybody you can think of that's connected or respected. This yeah. man was. Wow. So anyway, you know, we got to know each other and all of this, and really got to know each other, and he offered me a lot of things. And I, we were staying at the Villa Ajea Hotel. This was right on the water wow. in Palermo, Sicily. I mean, there was nothing I could have, couldn't have rather. And so with this, I started talking to him and I, he said, what were you guys doing? And Vino said, oh, this guy, he likes to cook and this, that, <laughs> the other. He said, well, I'm going to show all these other people. So he did. So with that, we go and he knows the guy has the Cordon Bleu. And the original Alfredo, who created Fettuccine Alfredo, mm -hmm. is his personal friend. Huh. So he comes to visit this guy once a month. I didn't know that. And we're talking. And with all the recipes and everything else, I'm now talking to Alfredo. And with all the, the connections that they had, I actually have a certificate from the Cordon Bleu that Alfredo signed, and he signed it as me being a sorcier, like I went there. Oh my but God. Oh, like you went to school to learn how to cook under his, under his direction? Under his yeah. And, wow. Uh, so, I mean, but with that, when I did, I mean, I mean, most of the time we just hung around and partied. <laughs> but I did a lot of cooking, a lot of cooking. The old man, I cooked for him on Sundays. I'd make dinners and was practicing all of this stuff, and everybody liked it. And that's why when I came back here, all the restaurants, even State Street, I created a, a cooking school in Jean Prison. It was an idea I had, which would give me a better image in Las Vegas, because mm. they thought I was a wise guy or connected to people, right. which I was, but I wasn't a wise guy. Mm. So I felt I had this huge restaurant called Jenny Russo State Street, and I'm always looking for angles. And, and like anybody has a restaurant or anybody relies on help, 
Well, you work in a restaurant with someone I do. and all that. Yeah. And Pat, I'm sure you've been around restaurants all their life. All my life. Father, father, too. All yeah, of course. Yeah. And the, the thing is, the, 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 most of the back of the, the back of the place, other than the chef, all those people are so unreliable. They get <laughs> drunk, they don't show up. And so I came up with this idea and I went to talk to um, Chef Moran at the time. And I said, I want to do something for this community. Mm -hmm. And he's rolling his eyes. Okay, what do you want to do for the community? <laughs> I want to I, rip them off. No, yeah. no. I said, I want, I want to create a cooking school. He said, you want to create a cooking school? See, I said, yeah, once a week, I'll go out to Gene Prison. And I want, you know, nonviolent criminals mm -hmm. that are going to be paroled. And I'll not only teach them what I need to have in the back of the house of State Street, my restaurant, but I'll sign their work paper so they can come out. Mm. So that was that was a win-win for everybody. Right. And I used to go out there and teach them how to cook. Oh. And, but the good news about it is Gene Prison, the bus, would come, was right outside of Gene, Nevada. Okay. It was maybe 30 miles out. They would bring me my dishwashers, my saucier guys, salad guys, and they would keep learning with us. Mm -hmm. But for the state, it was like a whole rehabilitation thing. So they gave me a tax break. Oh, wow. But the other thing was being that I was doing this, I had no payroll in the kitchen other than the chef. <laughs> it's like uh, on the job training, right? On the that job training. Amazing. They were housed by the state. They slept with the state while they were there. That's amazing. And I was getting, you know, I was preparing them back to civilization. Uh -huh. And where this goes is interesting because the, the one guy who actually saved my life, Ralphie, he used to say, Boss, what you did for me, you gave me a whole new beginning. I take a bullet for you. I said, I hope you don't have to. Don't oh, worry yeah. about it. So this guy was with me for years. And all through this time, this guy was like that kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And after three or four years at State Street, I used to take, if I was going out to my boat at Lake Mead at night, I used to go out there a lot and have my driver, Fremo, this kid used to drive my car, bring us out. We'd pick all kinds of food from the kitchen. And they'd come get me like three or four o'clock. I'd come back in, shower, and be at the club eight thirty, nine o'clock. It was a great life. Mm -hmm. Not in the winter, though, you didn't do that, but in the summer. So here we are, and if, if I wasn't going to the boat, I'd take anybody who was there, the cocktail waitresses, anybody that was at six o'clock when we closed, and we used to go have pizza. And we always went to the same place. So now a guy comes to town called Tony Spalatro. <laughs> and this guy, I, the night I met him with Nick Nitty at the Stardust Hotel, I met this guy and I'm saying, I don't like this guy at all. It was New Year's Eve, no less. Really? And the bad touch of Vegas, I, how do I remember this stuff? Emelita Escoval was the lead dancer and on the opposite act was Freddie Bell and the Belmonts. And this guy loved me from The Godfather and all this stuff at that time. Mm -hmm. So he'd make a big fuss out of me, not knowing the other table next to me was Spalatro. I wasn't introduced to him yet. And this whole crew, Frankie Collada, all these guys are known guys now, weren't then, they just came to town. And they're making this big accolade over me and people cheering and all the broads and all that. 
And this guy's like <laughs> snarling at me, and I'm saying, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> so Nick Nitty's sitting next to me. He's like, I got to introduce you to somebody. And I'm saying to myself, I hope it ain't this guy. Because the acts were on. You know, you had to wait till the acts leave. Right. So Nick said, I went, I'd come over with me. And we walk right to this guy. And he said, this is Tony Spilatro. He's out of Chicago. Some friends you know of his, friends of his. I said, great. He said, he's going to be here running, overseeing things from now on. I think you guys should become friends. And I'm saying to myself, <laughs> if he was the last I don't want to know this guy. Yeah, yeah. If I was the last person on earth, I'd rather be an orphan than be this guy's <laughs> friend. <laughs> because he just had that look. Plus, you know, his nickname was The Ant. And he was the size of one. You know, so he had to, and he I'll really? never forget it though, because he had, he had a collar on the outside of his shirt, like a real, like a, a, a light lavender or something. Mm -hmm. The collar was so big, I thought if he got caught in the wind, he'd take off. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was like one of those outside over the, over the, and I never saw people dress like that. <laughs> the flying ant. Yeah, the flying ant. That's why yeah, I it been great. The flying But anyway, this guy, from that day on, for years, him and I had problems. When mm -hmm. I wanted slot machines in my joint, I said, get a corporation. You have to have a license to do this. You can't just, you know, be a part of all this. And over and over and over, he confronted me. Make a long story short, we're having pizza one night, and here comes, in, in, in Maryland Square Shopping Center, i never forget it, Wonder World was at the end of it. Mm. Everything was closed was in the morning. A car comes flying down, and we're in a major parking lot. And I always had great cars. I would never park them next to other cars for doors to ding. Mm -hmm. So my car was out like almost in the middle of the parking lot. It's me and Ralphie walking back, and here comes this car. And sure enough, they opened fire. Ralphie pushes me to the ground. He took six shots. Oh my gosh. And I'm holding this guy. I'm, I'm almost crying talking to him. And he died. Oh my goodness! Oh man, that's that's terrible. That's insane. Yeah, but I mean, how how long was he with you? Four years already. Yeah. Wow. Jeez, yeah. A great. I mean, and did, did he have a family, or you, or you were it? No, I was it. He, 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 yeah. I think he was like one of these problems we're having now. Came across the border illegally. He yeah. got jammed up in Vegas, and they locked him up. He did like two years, but yeah. non-violent, stupid stuff. You know, maybe yeah. bad checks or something like that. But, yeah. uh, but you know, th that experience, though, just being away for so long. Right. Because I couldn't I talk to nobody. Not that I was talking to any, that many people to begin with. But to think of those 22 months and the, the allegiance this guy Costello had. Mm -hmm. I mean, to go, he went against everything. And even when I came back, I, I was going to come to New York. He said... You, you get out of here, and he sent me to Florida at that time. Mm. That's when I met, you know. This guy, Ugo, this guy, with Ugo Buffa, right? Ugo Buffa, yeah. Yeah, he, you, you uh, mentioned in, uh, in in the book something about a long fingernail. I forgot what the story was. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> he taught me this. I thought Frank, I don't know, because I knew Sammy Davis had a long fingernail, but it was for coke. So I'm saying, <laughs> so I'm saying that he had a long fingernail, like one inch. So why not? and he always used to see me look at it, but never. Well, which it. which finger was it? With, it's a pinky. No, it's interesting. It's a pinky finger, but if you're right-handed, it's your right hand. 
if you're left-handed, okay. it's your left-handed. Okay. So after a while, then one day we were just sitting drinking wine, and he says, "You keep looking at my pinky." I says, "Yeah." I said, "You know that that's uh, in in the in the states, that's people use that as a spoon." <laughs> he says, "But he didn't know what I was talking about." Right. Yeah, it's a good thing he didn't know. Yeah, no, but then I I told him. Oh yeah. He, he says, "What kind of spoon for sugar?" I said, "No." I says, "It's white." He said, are you kidding me? <laughs> I said, no. He said, you know what this means here? I said, no. He said, that means you don't do hard labor. Huh. That's how you showed, because there was different, you know, there was no classism. And if you did wow. no labor, men of that, that distinction, even royalty, and then, then I started noticing in more and more people uh, doing that, then I think the drug thing got them all cutting their right, nails. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for the longest time, Having a long fingernail meant you did no labor, none. I I, I thought you? that was really interesting. Right. Wow, that is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. But. Uh, huh. But he used to tell me the even the stories of how how they got to be their father. They raised him because I didn't realize early on. I mean, really early on. Sicily was even taken over by the, by Jews. They made it like their island, then Spaniards, and I, I shouldn't do a history on it because I, I was very interested while I was there because I had nothing else to do anyway. But that's when they created this thing of ours because if they were living on land serfs early on in like the 17th century, 18th century, and the, the wedding, the wedding, the, the uh, farmer or whatever he was on this man's land, mm -hmm. Out of respect to this man, he had to offer his daughter to him first that he could sleep with her if he cho chose to. Most before the wedding. For the, before the, the wedding night. This happens on the wedding night. Well, that must have been awfully crowded. Yeah, be, no, 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 but I mean, it was yeah. a thing, but they never did. Yeah. One or two people did. Okay. Yeah. And that's when they slit his throat. Oh. And that's how they started building this thing of ours huh. to protect our people and family. It was always about family at the time. Right. Yeah. But that's, and then it got to be where it is. But it's, uh, it was an interesting education, I'll tell you. In 22 months, I thought I was Italian. Mm -hmm. But when I got over there and saw, and we went to the town where my family came from, and it was all, I mean, great history. And not realizing, because then I hired a barrister. His name was Jim Bianco. <laughs> so I used to call him Jim White. <laughs> <laughs> Clever. Because and, and, I didn't know, I didn't want anybody to know. And the reason I hired this guy, because they used to say, I used to meet people, and they'd say, oh, your, your family used to have this farm, and they used to have this, and they used to have that. So I knew the records, and everybody, most people don't know this. The Catholic Church keeps the best records in the world. Mm. They know when you baptize your ancestors and all that. You, I mean, you have to get somebody that knows. But if you knew, like in our church there, that the uh, the, the church my my family went to, mm -hmm. they had all the records. The church is two or three hundred years old. Right. So he had all the records. So look up, uh, you know, the Russo family, mm -hmm. Adona, uh, all of them. They had all their names and everything else. So I hired this guy to find out. How do you find out who owns this land? So when the records were so poor, he let me know, like right after the First World War, the Second World War, 
people were migrating to America. Mm-hmm. And nobody took over their land or, or legally. Then these poachers came. So I said, "Let's. I want to go see, we're in different places. Then we went to Naples even to find out mm-hmm. because my grandmother was from Naples and Russo is such a common name. Right. So all I had were key names like, you know, and they knew I had money and who I was coming with. And so was was any of this history on paper or was this guy yeah. supplying oral history? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm saying the Catholic Church had yeah, the addresses okay. where, where my aunts and uncles all lived. Yeah. But when we went there, none of my aunts and uncles were living there. <laughs> so what we did, because I, I don't speak Italian and Sicilian dialect and Navalidan dialect, you can't understand. They did that deliberately. Mm. Yeah. So, but fortunately, this guy I hired, and he was with the Vatican, so he can get anything we wanted. He had leave and come back. I was in a hurry. But <laughs> we found out where all this property was, and that's why when I talked to you and say, I control 900 hectares of land in Italy. Yeah. That's this land. But we wow. never we never chased anybody. Yeah, a lot of I'm, you're, you're probably saying too, Pat. Oh, I yeah. thought you owned it. I, I, yeah. You know, I could have, but I didn't. I didn't buy it. Mm. What I did do, though, and that's why they still respect me over there. I, if you were on the land, whatever you were farming, maybe grapes, tomatoes, mm. olives, I had first right of refusal of your crop. Mm. Same fair market value. Whatever yeah. you were getting, if it's how much a bushel, I pay it mm-hmm. if I needed it. And I did that for a while, and then we started doing it what they were doing and then we got into grapes and started producing wines and olives and stuff like that mm-hmm. and uh, I had a good business for a long time and then I started producing my own grapes and this kid Francesco who still works for me like his father worked for me now he does he's still my conduit over there hmm. like when I did my vodka he sourced it all out all my my wines myself you know we drink right that's all comes from there. Hmm. My Montepultuciano's from Abruzzi, my Pinot Grigio, my Prosecco's from Veneto, down to Grosseto, that, all that property. Hmm. And then I got friendly with the neighbors and I was just buying everybody's grape <laughs> and producing my own wine. That's how I got the wine business. Hmm. It cost me like $11. <laughs> <laughs> Cash money. But yeah. the, the thing, I mean, when you start researching the history, and that's why, I, I mean, I'm, a lot of people think I was born over there because my, my roots and my respect for who I am and my heritage, which I don't care wh- what your background is. What, what is your background, Pat? I never asked you. Navalitan. Oh, no, see, okay. You, you, you look not 100% Navalitan? No, I'm, uh, my uh, mother was Russian. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah but the, the, the Neapolitan really shows out when you Obviously, you really? don't look Russian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no, but uh, I mean, you you have a, a feeling for your heritage, right? Of course. I mean, I was that's where I was born and raised. Uh, you know, uh, little Italy. That's all I knew. Yeah. So you're right. like me. You're yeah. you're first generation year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, second generation. Oh, second. Yeah, my father was born here. Oh, that's his parents. Yeah, his parents were born in Italy. Yeah. yeah. But. Uh, so, I mean, people I know who, who are listening to us, fortunately, always hold whatever you, whatever you could be German, Russian, Polish, whatever. You got to gotta research where you come from. Your roots are so, so important. And, you know, 
and this is how I got, fortunately, and how I got there is terrible. I mean, because of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have went over there. I mean, I, I go there now. I'm, after a while, I get bored. You know, it's it doesn't have the action that I'm used to. And I, it's, a, it's, a it's a quiet lifestyle. Oh, my God, yeah. And, you know, that's why these over. people. That's why these people live to be two hundred and forty. You know, I mean. Well, they're so simpatico, you know. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And the siestas. I mean, I I took a siesta every day, and I was sleeping already ten hours a day, but I blamed <laughs> it on the gallon of wine I drank with lunch. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a lie. So so you're there twenty two months. Right. You're drinking, you're eating, and you're sightseeing. Sightseeing, acquiring. Did you really land. want to come home? Yeah, yeah, I did. No, I mean, yeah. after a while, you know. Even now, you know, I I went two other times. I had to leave again. When I went on the lamb, when uh, I had a problem with John Gotti, which is in the yeah. book also, yeah. and uh, I had to leave my family, unfortunately, which still kills me. But uh, I had no choice. And if my kids are listening, this is why I, w I went away. And that was the last, you know, as you know, Pat, that yeah. was with because of Gotti and his greed and and Chin. They all saw an opportunity. To shake down basically uh, Pat Molan, who I really feel bad. We was a close friend. We were involved with two sisters, not kids. Mm -hmm. And he owned the Denver Broncos. And then Rupert Murdoch, who owned Fox Children's Network, they came to me to uh, help them combat the violence that was in the uh, uh, Power Rangers. So th they said uh, to Pat, they said, doesn't your brother-in-law have to do something with movies and television and all that? He says, yeah. He says, you think he could come up with a kid show? <laughs> and that's how I got into the kid show. And I created uh, 17 episodes of AJ's Time Traveling. <laughs> and uh, I, I really loved what I was doing because my little kids, Adriana and Luciano, I was so tired of this Barney, this purple, <laughs> Purple dinosaur, whatever the hell it was. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, and it, it was, pissed every everybody off. Oh, I, I mean, love an adult in this country. Oh, the kids all love like you like she make him make. Oh, Barney sick. was yeah. That was Barney, Barney was, was it. Was that it, was yeah. the main yeah. thing when I was little. But you know, I didn't realize Barney. They only did sixteen episodes, but they kids <laughs> love repetition. Hmm. They made sixteen. That's all they, that's all they ever did was sixteen episodes. Do you believe that? I feel no, like yeah, that's obviously, not. I, believe I don't it, know. I, I don't feel like that's right. I'm telling you, that's what they told me. Huh? I feel like I've seen way they changed sets a couple times. They had to have done more than that. Well, I don't know, but anyway. So, <laughs> but I, I I know what I saw. But I was never really up with my kids. You know? mm, yeah. But that's what I was told. Mm. But with that said, I I did research on it. Huh. And I, as kids, I remember people coming door to door selling you encyclopedias. Right. Well, nobody's doing that anymore. And at the time, when I'm talking about this, it was in the 90s, they had CD-ROMs. Do you remember CD-ROMs? Yes, I do. My throat is getting dry. <laughs> <clears throat> so I thought I would create a TV show and download it to CD-ROMs and program the knowledge that's on it to the age group. Hmm. And everybody thought it was amazing. Even Taiko Toys did. Mm -hmm. And they just created a, a CD-ROM player that sat on kids' desk. And you put the CD-ROM in. Mm -hmm. So now I had a sponsor. I had Fox Children's Network that needed this show because mothers were coming home. 
because everything with the Power Rangers doing, karate and they were all dressed in little ninjas. Mm -hmm. So all these kids were hitting their sisters and brothers. <laughs> and there, there was a big problem. I mean, a major problem. Mm. So I created this friendly show. And probably everybody that's listening to us saying, is he kidding me? You gotta look this up, man. AJ's Time Travels, Fox Network. Mm -hmm. I got a 4.7 rating, which is huge in afternoon television. Right. I won the educational award, which I felt embarrassed because I never went to school. <laughs> and but my, and everybody loved it. And in fact, I incorporated my kids. They were in the set when we had kids in it. And it was a great thing for me. I was shooting at CBS Radford mm -hmm. in the Valley. And when you start to think of the parallels in my life and how it just keeps revolving, the first movie I made was for Paramount Theaters. Right. I used to sleep in the Paramount Theaters. Mm. I'm now partners through my company and I'm the brand ambassador. We should talk about that actually. I'm the brand ambassador of Corleone Feline Family Foods. Mm -hmm. While my other partner with Paramount in that, because it's all Godfather, right. is um, oh man, Viacom, yes. who owns CBS. Mm. So we went full circle. Right. So now I'm partners with Paramount all over again 50 years later. Viacom, which I did a TV show for, because they own CBS, and I shot on CBS Radford. And that was a great lot to be, because Seinfeld was still there on the line. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Roseanne, the show Roseanne. Mm -hmm. And I met that guy, Tom, I married her. He was a bodyguard at the time. Really? Yeah. But all of this happened, and all of this knowledge and everything else came from me being involved with all of these people, but had no reason to do, you know, nothing. I mean, right. it's like somebody's watching me and guiding me, but here I am. I, did, I mean, you got to, you could look it up. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. and it's executive producer Gianni Russo. Wow. And I did a TV show. I can't believe it. And how old were you at the time when you did that? Oh my God, I was I was up there. I did it yeah. in the '90s. Really? Oh yeah, I had yeah. my 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 two last kids were born, and Adriana's like 23, 24. Okay, makes Luciana's sense. right before that. Got it. But uh, and these are the children I had to leave again and go to Italy mm. because uh, John Gotti and and. Um, well, I, I think that's that's an episode unto itself. Yes, man. absolutely. That's that's a complicated story. Man. I know, I know, but I don't really want to talk about it because right, well, there yeah. are some Gaudis still around. Yeah, I love gotta them all. Gotta be careful. <laughs> yeah. A lot of gigantes yet, and uh, it really it was a mistake I made. It was my fault, but I was forced to leave the country again because they were trying to subpoena me to wit to be a witness against this property that they were trying to get. Mm. And they won because of the default with me. And they made three or four million dollars and I lost my family. Oh. So how are we doing with time? I'm, I'm, um, I'm getting... You know, I guess we could wrap up pretty soon. No, you have anything else to say? Well, Let's get you back to the United States. Okay. Uh, I mean, what happened? I mean, were you hearing from people? In the States all this time, or were you just no, I, bouncing I was hearing, around Europe? Oh, no, I didn't hear from nobody. Nobody knew where I was. Nobody knew if I was one of those 73 people, 73 people that were eradicated. 
So and what happened? I mean, what? Somebody called you up one day and said, "Get on a boat. You're coming home." No, no, no. Vito was my guy only. Vito, t- Vito talked to New York. How he did it? Why he did it? I don't know. Other than that, I spoke about nothing about that. Talked even in restaurants. It, you know, what are you doing here? I decided to come here. That's all. I had problems in the, in the states and. My family sent me here. They didn't know who my family, they knew nothing. But that used to happen a lot when people got in trouble. Like you pointed out, when girls got pregnant, they'd go away. Mm -hmm. It was just an accepted thing. But after 22 months, they said, I can come back. And uh, like you pointed out, I was coming back to a different America because everybody was picketing the Vietnam War and protesting and, and, you know, this was the first time I recognized that you know our soldiers weren't being glorified for fighting us. They were really mocking them for going over there. And I'm, I'm still, I'm not political, I don't know what was going on. But you, Pat, you know better than anything. Hey, I was there, I, that was one of the worst days of my life when I uh, landed at, uh, at LaGuardia from, uh, I mean, the people were actually throwing shit at me. I couldn't believe it, mm-hmm. what did I do? And wow. I was told, do not wear your uniform. And you were proud but I did of it anyway. Wear. I was proud of my uniform. Right. Right. But uh, I uh, one day back in uh, back in the states, it came off. I might never put it back on again. Dangerous. Mm. Yeah. To be uh, to be in, a, in any kind of military uniform. Well, you're the second person that I I knew because again I never I was, but I, when I got engaged to Maggie, her father was in in fought for us. Even though he was Polish, he came here and he fought. Oh. And he would never speak about anything. And just sometimes we do, a, you know, you like to smoke, so I try to go pick his brain. <laughs> and, you know, because the guy's, I mean, it's something, you could tell inwardly he was hurt, but I mm-hmm. don't know how. I figured it was his wife because she was nuts and still is. <laughs> but but then Maggie enlightened me about, about him, and I really wanted to know because I, I witnessed it of me just coming, not with a uniform, thank God, right. but I could have been a guy with a uniform because I was that age coming mm-hmm. back. But I, re- I remember the airports, they had signs picketing, but I didn't know, Pat, you actually witnessed stuff being thrown at you, man. Yeah, yeah I, I'd run the gauntlet, yeah, in LaGuardia, it was bad. Wow. Well, how did that feel? I mean, you just, how many years were you over there, Pat? Well, you're only there one year. Your tour is one year. And, uh, you know, you, you have one of these little pocket calendars that you get when you buy a wallet, you know. Yeah. It was called a, a, a short timer's calendar. Every day you, you would wake up and you would think of two things. One, I'm happy I was able to wake up and I'm not friggin' dead. Mm-hmm. And two, you cross a day off your little short timer's calendar. Wow. And when you hit 365 days, you're gone. But uh, the problem was you're in the jungle on a Tuesday and on a Wednesday you're walking the streets in New York. Oh. Uh, they shouldn't have done it that way. Well, how? I mean, they they brought you back that fast? Oh yeah, you're on a plane and back you come. We we stopped in San Francisco to refuel, and we came right back to New York. It took about thirty six hours uh, from uh, halfway around the world, and I came back. It was culture shock. I didn't know what an area code was. I didn't know what a touchstone. I was gone for two years because I was in Korea for a year instead of them sending me home. For a, year, for a leave, which is what they're supposed to do before they send you to a combat zone. I mean, I was in the infantry. I was a machine gunner. The odds were that I wasn't coming home. Wow. But wow. for some reason, they sent me straight from Korea after a year to Vietnam for a year. And then I came home. So two years out of the States, they instituted zip codes. Is what the hell is a zip code? Area codes for phones, touch tone phones. 
hadn't slept on and sheets. And that, that all happened in two years. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. None of that. I was my my uh, mother actually had to show me how to dial a phone. Wow. And I was twenty. I was what twenty years old. That's crazy. And it's the first time I, I slept on sheets in two years. I didn't want to get out of bed. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and you know, as as you were uh, you were saying, uh, I got a very bad reception from a lot of people. You know, oh, I wouldn't tell anybody. You know, oh, anybody, yeah, I mean, hey, where'd you get that tan? And I go to the beach a lot. Oh. Well, that's amazing. I mean, that's yeah, I was crazy. terrible. Yeah. Well, I hope our audience really. I mean, when you start to think about the knowledge, I mean, Pat and I have of life, and Megan's learning I'm through it. Just starting to learn. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. And I yeah, hope she, that she's so, over here taking notes. I mean, <laughs> no, but she, I mean, she's going to write know, the next why, book. You know, the, the big message yeah. I think out of what we we're just talking about here is don't take life for granted, man. Don't oh, take no. your environment. And I, I have, you know, kids who are millennial. I have kids that are 56 to infants with my <laughs> grandchildren. But I see so many kids and so not interested. And I mean, think about your culture. Think about who you are. And remember, if you're an American, be a proud of it, man. Yeah, why did you, yeah, you know, uh, why do you think I, I, I started going to school? I mean, I was not a student. When I was over there, I said, if I survive this, if I make it out of here in one piece, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and I stuck to it all. Right. And then, and getting getting a really good education took me 72 years of my life, but I did it. Was no, really. It, was I, was I on your bucket life. list? Did you know you were going yeah, to Yeah, yeah. I said, I'm going to meet this guy, Russo, and we got to write a book, and we're going to be famous. But you're already famous. No, uh, I'm not famous. Oh, sure. Or infamous. One of the two. But no, no, you know, you, you, you go through things in life, and you, you realize how precious it is. Well, no, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah, what you I, don't I, take I it for all, granted. Yeah, well, well, don't wake up in the morning and start bitching and complaining. That you got to go to work. Be thankful. You got to go to work. Yeah. Uh, you're still alive to go to work. It's true. So anyway, that that, that that's that was a good my way story. to close. Yeah, I think that's a great way Absolutely. to, to great end message. it for today. Again, okay. thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Pat. Always right. all your contributions, Megan. <laughs> well, Pat, we wouldn't have the show actually because. As you pointed out, it's Hollywood Godfather podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think people might be aware. But. Oh, and another thing, Pat and I both thank the world. We're breaking records with this book. Oh man, yeah. All over Australia now, Italy. We we got publications from all over the place, Great Britain. So we don't know what the foreign numbers are yet, but the domestic numbers are huge. No, thank That's God. awesome. And we're very thankful for that. Yeah. I mean, uh, anybody who wrote a, who bought a book. Uh, we can't thank you enough. Yeah, and write into us. We want to hear from you guys. All right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to hear? What do you want to talk about? What yeah, questions please. do you want answered? Please, we'll do it. You know that. <laughs> God bless you all. We'll see you. In, you'll hear us next week. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night, Johnny. Good night, Megan. Good night, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Email Gianni Russo with your questions, comments, and for information regarding his motivational speaking appearances to Gianni at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com. Email Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments to Patrick at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and visit Amazon.com for a listing of books he has written. I'm Megan Horan. I can be emailed at Megan at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and would enjoy hearing from you. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. But most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails. Good night.